Today we're going to be speaking about kosher and the reasons why we keep kosher. There's some amazing uh, ideas taught in this week's parasha, Parashat Shmini. The end section of this week's parasha, Torah portion, is all about the laws of kosher. So what can we learn from it and why do we do it? All in this evening tonight, in this class here on 4-7-2021. Okay, so uh, first, I'll start with a little joke. There was some dude in uh, Israel, and I actually remember this because this was one of the excuses they gave um, to some stores. Unfortunately, you know, not everyone's religious, and many, there are many stores selling shawarma and, and uh, schnitzel and falafel and hummus, right? What other good stuff is there in Israel? Come on. So uh, we go into a restaurant in Tel Aviv, and I ask the guy, are you kosher? This actually happened to me. The response didn't happen to me. Someone else used this response. But this happened to me. So he says, of course, I kosher. Look, I have Benishchai hanging on the wall. I have this rabbi hanging on the wall. That rabbi is hanging on the wall. Look, around the whole store, there's a whole bunch of rabbis hanging on the wall. Of course I'm kosher. What do you think I am? So um, that was what he told me. But there was a story with someone who he, this kind of seller said that to a buyer. And the buyer says to the store owner, the restaurant owner, listen, if you were hanging on that wall and those rabbis were serving me the food, I'd be happy to buy this food. But currently, you are serving this food and those rabbis are all hanging on the wall. So I want to know if you've got a kosher supervision, not just if you have some rabbis hanging on a wall. So when it comes to being kosher, we don't know everybody, and we don't know who they are, and people have personal interests, which is to sell their product or make some money, and therefore, you never know what can happen. There's been many, many stories. Unfortunately, when money comes in, anything can change, right? We are completely people that change. We are tested when it comes to money. You can have people that get along really well. Suddenly, when it comes to money, oh, massive arguments. One of the ways that we're tested is with money. And um, it's hard to judge someone, but that can happen. There's been stories of restaurants that were selling kosher meat, and then it came out they were actually throwing in some non-kosher meat behind the scenes. So even though they were officially selling kosher meat with a supervision, when no one was coming at night and no one's watching, the rabbi, no rabbis coming in, at night, they would throw in some non-kosher meat, which is obviously much, much cheaper, and sell that as if it's part of the kosher meat as well. So it's important that when we buy food, we get a good kosher supervision on the food that we get. We can never be sure 100%. But at least when we have a good supervision, we know um, they are on top of it as much as they can be, and we are eating kosher food and not some kind of fake horse meat or something else that you wouldn't know about. So kosher is popular. It's something 
fortunately enough, OU is a, a very, very successful uh, business today. And it's very, extremely popular. Most food products would desire to have the OU symbol on their food because they want to be recognized as a kosher food. So that way more people will buy it, not only Jews. Jews only make how many people of America? Right, there's 300 million people here. The amount of products that have an OU symbol uh, are astronomical. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Millions of products have been supervised by OU. And um, still, even with its supervision, um, many, many people rely on it and like it and even don't believe in it. So the question is why? Why is it that it's become so popular? People think it's healthy. Well, I've got news for you. Um, some of it is. Oh, that was who it was. Gabby G. It's Gabby. Hey, nice to see you. So, um, you know, many people say it's, uh, it's, it's healthy, but, you know, then you've got Coca-Cola, and that's kosher, which is, what, 30% sugar? How much sugar is in Coke? Anyone know? A lot, right? Most like of 30 grams. 30 grams of sugar. It's like weight. Is that in one, in one cupful? That's ridiculous. So that's more sugar than you, apparently you only men have like 20 grams a day of sugars. In one cup of Coke, there's 30 grams of uh, sugar. So much to being woke, right? Coke. Anyway, it's just a joke. But um, so it's crazy. Uh, it's crazy that there's so much sugar in it. It's unhealthy, completely unhealthy. And yet it is kosher. So obviously, kosher is not only to do with being healthy, but definitely the way we eat. And when God commands us to eat certain foods and not other foods, they also have a health a benefit to them. It says in Shlomo Amalek says in Proverbs, Shobmer Piv Uleshono, Proverbs chapter 21. Somebody guards his mouth and his tongue. Shomer mitzarot nafshah guards himself from many troubles for his soul, not just for his body, but also for his soul. Shomer piv uleshano, someone who guards his mouth and his tongue. You see, the mouth is different than any other part of your body. It has multiple guards to it. Before you actually speak, right, the voice speaks, but then there's the teeth, there's the tongue, there's the Lips, there's multiple guards to the mouth. And that's to teach me a lesson that a person must think a lot before he speaks. Much more than you feel the need to speak, you should feel the need to be silent. When somebody speaks, the words are now in control of you. When somebody does not speak, they are in control of their words. Think about that for a second. That's what. It didn't need to say that though. It could have just said, Shlomo HaMelech, Solomon could have just said, someone who guards his mouth is someone who guards himself from all his trouble. Why does he say, guard your mouth and your tongue? Can anyone explain to me why he would say, someone who guards his tongue and his mouth? Just say, guard your mouth and you are guarded from much trouble. You know, you say something stupid. Especially today, it's recorded. Boom. 
It's all over the social media. Your job is done. One word, you get canceled. So you've got to be very careful with your mouth. Judaism always said you've got to be careful with your mouth, not just because of Twitter, but because when we are careful with the way we speak, we are being more spiritual, more powerful. So Shomel people to Why mouth and your tongue? Why do you need to guard both? Just say guard your mouth and you will be guarded from trouble. Can anyone think of a good answer to why it would say guard your mouth and tongue instead of just guard your mouth? Right, there's two aspects here. Maybe because uh, you speak with your mouth and you taste with your tongue. So it's the two aspects are speaking and eating. Good. That's it. I'm done. Sorry, you've, you've, you've graduated. Right? Shomel Piv Uleshonah represents the two aspects of how you need to guard your mouth. There's one in the way you speak and the other is in the way of how you eat. Make sense? You guard yourself with how you eat. You're also going to save yourself from many troubles. The Talmud says, ever since the first sin, Adam and Eve, what was that with? Apple. It was with food. Good. It was, there's many opinions, actually, of what it was. Actually, one says it's a chita, a wheat. One says a wheat tree. The whole Kabbalistic thing behind that, amazing. There's one that says apple, etrog, there's many, teina, fig. Uh, so there's many opinions of what that fruit was. That's another whole discussion. It actually ties into, um, they are all true. The, the tree had the ability to give us all of those. So, but, but anyway, not getting into that because it's also beyond me and I don't really understand it myself. But anyway, shomel people le shomel militarot nafsho means that if somebody guards his mouth and his tongue, he's going to guard himself from a lot of trouble. His, there's two areas that you need to guard yourself. How, what comes out and what goes in. Those are the two areas that we need to be careful with. So here are the five reasons for kosher. And it's not only health, even though health is an aspect. And I'll show you some of the Rishonim, some of the rabbis, the early writers that spoke about this as well. Try and cover everything. Um, five reasons I'm going to give you for kosher. One is the spiritual impact it has on me. Hence, the saying, you are what you eat. The food you eat comes part of your dam. It's transformed into your body. It goes into your blood. And your blood is what we call the olam ha'asiyah in Kabbalistic world. It's the world of doing. It's the world of action. When your blood is working well, you have sugar in your blood, you can move. So your movement and your actions is translated through the food that you eat. And somebody who eats, I'm not just talking about healthy food, but food that comes from animals that are, are acting in a certain way, things that come from a, way, from a certain way, then that would actually impact the way you think and feel. And we want to try and think and feel as good as we can. So number one is spirituality. Number two is health. Because we, number one is the, the ultimate reason, which is spiritual reasons. But because you've got to be spiritually good. And there's certain animals that aren't spiritually in the tune of our way of being. So when we eat them, they are actually also, if God tells us not to eat them, 
if we eat certain animals, we are also going to become unhealthy through eating them. It happens to be that most of the animals that are not kosher are also unhealthy for you. It's a nice coincidence. That's not the ultimate reason, but that's what happens to be. Um, people may argue, but we'll discuss that in a minute, because some people have told me shrimp and so on has the right vitamins for you, and it's good for you. People will argue. Even though there's a lot of, um, what is it, magnesium? or uh, is, that, is that what it is? Not, not, there's something else, some kind of metal that's not good for you. Uh, was it? Mercury. Is that mercury, mercury in a lot of um, seafood, but that's another discussion. But health is definitely something that's true in terms of the food that's kosher. Number three is discipline. How many people have told me that as soon as they've taken on a more of a Jewish lifestyle, they've also learned the world of discipline, a world that they never knew before. Like every time I'm, I'm about to eat, wait, I need to wash my hands. I'm about to eat, wait, no, now it's Passover, so I have to eat matzah, I can't eat bread. Uh, I have to eat, no, but this food hasn't been checked, I'm not going to eat Oh, this food was cooked in an oven which had meat in it. Okay, so I can't eat it because it's milky and it was cooked in the same oven at the same time as milk and as meat and it's milky. I can't. It, but why? It's got milk. It's just milk. There's no meat in it. Yeah, but it was cooked together. I don't want to. It takes discipline to always question where did this food come from? As soon as somebody takes on a Jewish lifestyle, everything becomes a question. And that treat teaches us a tremendous amount of discipline. So there's a huge element of discipline. Uh, number four, there are moral reasons behind kosher, meaning an animal, let's say, which is not just for a Jew, but where the ever minachai, a limb of a living animal, is taken or removed. A person, a human being, can't eat it. So if, let's say you are in Kruger Park in South Africa, enjoying the nature of South Africa, and you see a half a zebra eaten by a lion, and you see the rest of that corpse, you are not allowed to take some of it. Oh, that's a nice piece of meat. Let's fry it, or whatever it is, or um, put it on the grill. You cannot eat it, even though it's not being killed by you, because it wasn't slaughtered in the kosher way. Uh, it's There's also a certain moral aspect to the way we eat. We have to treat the animals in a certain way. There's a moral way that we have to treat the animals as well in terms of how we, before we eat it. And lastly, tradition. There is an aspect of tradition. Food is what keeps us together. You ever heard the expression, hey, are you Jewish? So then come and with me and let's eat. That's my expression. And I do it all the time, right? I meet somebody, I'm like, hey, you Jewish? Let's go for coffee. Hey, you Jewish? Let's go and eat. Hey, you Jewish? Let's go and... So one of the ways that we ensure that we hang out with each other is if we eat kosher food. It enhances uh, Jewish uh, unity and avoids hitchatnut, marriage, uh, amongst the nations. It's one of the keys to avoiding intermarriage. Hey, I've got a, I've got a secret for you. Most people that don't marry, that marry out from Judaism that intermarry, are not so into kosher. Have you ever noticed that? It's quite amazing. If you're not into kosher and you don't eat kosher, you're more likely to marry out into 
a non-Jewish family. Why? Because when you're able to sit in any restaurant anywhere, you're also more likely to find somebody anywhere. Make sense? Okay, fine. So here goes the discussion in the Torah, in this week's Torah portion, and we'll get to um, the ideas here. Very interesting. God says to Moshe and Aaron, he says to them, These are the animals which you can eat. Starts off with saying which animals you can eat, not which ones you can't. Why? These are the animals you can. Well, that'd be a long list, wouldn't it? Well, it would. But it gives me the two things, the two aspects that you need in order to know that it is kosher, right? You're saying if it would tell me the non-kosher ones, it would have to be a long list. Is that what you're saying, Liv? Uh, yeah. Like That's a good answer. I never thought of that. I think... Uh... I, I think it's good news before bad news. Right. The Torah wants to tell me, listen, this is what you can eat. It's not that bad. Whenever you educate your child with what you can't do, you first educate your child with what we can do. Very important. Try and avoid as much as you can from saying the words no. We see this throughout the Torah. It will go out of its way to avoid saying the words no. And saying the words yes, right? Even if it means more words, unnecessary words. So the first thing is, this is what you can eat. These are the animals that you can eat. Anything that has split hooves and chews its cud. Those are the animals you cannot eat. However, these are the ones that you can't eat. Those that chew the cud... Or have only split hooves, but they don't have both of them. So the Torah now gives us a list of animals that either chew its cud and doesn't split, have split hooves or splits its hooves and doesn't chew its cud. What are they? <coughs> Etagamal, the camel. This is very, very interesting. The camel is not kosher. You cannot eat it. Why is it not kosher? Because it chews its cud and it doesn't have split hooves. Therefore, it's impure for you. You're not allowed to eat it. Hello? What's wrong with that? Again, listen to me a second. The camel is something you cannot eat. This is what the Torah says. Because it chews its cud. And it doesn't have split hooves. Right? The, the bottom of the camel, it's like a horse. <coughs> it doesn't have split hooves. And... It chews its cud. What's wrong with this statement? Eitan, stay awake. Lev, stay awake. What's wrong with this statement? This is what you cannot eat. A camel. Because it chews its cud. And it doesn't have split hooves. What, what's, the, what's your question? Something wrong with this statement. Because what should it, it have said? What? This is what you can't eat because it chews its cud and does not have a split hoof. Yeah, it says like this. These are the animals that you cannot eat. 
from they have either chewing the cud or they have just split hooves. And it says, the camel, because it chews its cud and it doesn't have split hooves. Where's the problem of the camel? Because it chews its cud it's because or because it, it doesn't have split hooves? The second one. The second why, one. Why, why would it say chew its chew because it chews its? I mean, exactly. The Torah yeah. never wastes a word, so don't say because it chews its cud. Just say this is the camel you can't eat because it doesn't have split hooves. Why does it start off because it chews its cud? And here's the answer. This is a question that Kliakar, one of the great commentaries on the Torah, asks. And this is basically the answer. That even something which is not kosher, something which is wrong, even that which is kosher within it is wrong. Okay? A thief. A thief, even when he's doing charity, he's... Something's wrong. Suspicious. You hear that? Because as so long somebody's in the mud of theft, then even when he's doing a good action in that world, we have to be suspicious. We, we can't judge. And I'm not here to judge, but we have to be suspicious. There's a rule that you judge everybody favorably besides for someone you know who's evil. Then you do the opposite. You don't give him the benefit of the doubt. So let's say if I see um, uh, somebody um, in my yard. If I see someone in my yard. So I say, okay, he lost his way. He just got a bit out of his way. You know, he went a bit onto my yard. Fine. But if I see him looking under my car in my yard, then I should be suspicious. I shouldn't say, oh, give him benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's just... He lost his cat under my car, right? I should be suspicious. I'd be like, what's going on? Hello, excuse me, come out of my house. Are you okay? Are you looking for something? Can I help you? We can't be naive. It's true we've got to be giving benefit of the doubt, but there's a limit of when you give benefit of the doubt. Are you, are you getting what I'm saying here? There's a time where you don't give benefit of the doubt, the opposite, according to Jewish law. You give the opposite. I don't know how you say the opposite of giving benefit of the doubt, but you judge him unfavorably. For sure he's in my yard to steal because yesterday he was caught stealing. That's a prison convict. He's in prison clothing. Why is he in my yard? For sure he's here for trouble. When I know that somebody's in a bad path, even the good that they do is questionable. Why why is this important? This is not just about the camel. It's about life too. Why is this important? Because a lot of times we fall in the trap of social friendships with people that are bad for me because I think there's certain aspects of them that's good. Yeah, but they're in a downhill path. And somebody who's in a downhill path, so, you know, they're, they're, they're angry, they're negative, smoking pot all the time, they're just like very, everything's negative, negative, downhill, downhill. So, even though he's on a downhill, yeah, but he's, he's a generous person doesn't matter. You want to keep away from somebody who's on a downward path, even if you see a good aspect of him. This is a very important message. It's not that we are judging him in any way. 
But just in the path that this person's in, I need to be as good as I can be, as, as positive I can be, and this is going to bring me down. A lot of times people tell me, I feel like I'm, be, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on a downward path. And then I found out that it's the friends that they're in, it's the circle of friends that they're in that's just not healthy for them. And you might say to me, yeah, but that person's not that bad. It's true he's not that bad, but the path that they're on in other areas is downward. And because of that, they're going to, even though there's some things that are good about them, that's what draws you to them. There's a rule. Every lie has some truth to it. Every lie. Shekel has a certain element of truth to it. Otherwise, it will never be believed. Every lie has to have truth to it. So that's what it says here. It says, don't eat the camel because it, it chews its cud and it splits the hoof. Meaning, the, the, it, the chewing of its cud, even though that's a good thing, but in this case, that in itself is a problem as well. It's a message for me. When something's not kosher, then even the kosher parts of it are not kosher. Oh, it's good. it is kosher because it's got good vitamins. At least it's healthy. Yeah, but if it's not kosher, even the good parts of it are unkosher. Even the vitamins are unkosher. Even the good parts of the shrimp is not kosher because it's not kosher. You hear what I'm saying? Anyway, that's the message there. Then it gives me some other examples. Shafan. Do you know what Shafan is in Hebrew? Al-Nevet. It's a type of rabbit. Okay, that also is not kosher because it chooses cud, but it doesn't have split hooves. It's a type of Al-Nevet. Also, Chooses cut, doesn't have spoofs. The chazil, the pig, is not kosher. Why? No split hooves. No, it has split hooves. Doesn't chew its cud. It oh, has split hooves. That's like the thing. They, they talk about the pigs like keep putting their feet out in front. I don't know. I heard this yes. back in the day. Yes. They like constantly put their hooves out like, yo, we got split hooves. You're like, supposed to like, no, nah, you don't chew your cud. Bad pigs. Exactly. And what do we say? That's a message. That's one of the message of the pig is which it teaches me is that the internal needs to be like the external. The pig, when it sleeps, it has its, that's what Lev was referring to. When it sleeps, when it lies down, it has its hooves split out more than any other animal. Like Esav was on the outside to his father. He gave off the image that he's the most perfect child to his dad. But inside he's rotting. How many people look good on the outside, they go to the gym, their six-pack is looking great, their chest is looking great, the back is looking great, everything looks great. But inside, they are eating the most unhealthy food. It's not good enough to look good on the outside. It's good enough to be looking good on the inside as well. There's somebody I know who talks, who talks to me all the time about being healthy, being healthy. And I'm like, excuse me, do you smoke? Do you, don't you smoke? So, not cigarettes, smoke cigarettes. So, I'm not dismissing, don't get me wrong, I'm not dismissing the health that that person's doing. Jogging, he's running, he's working out. I'm not, I think that he's, you know, he's got an addiction to, to smoking. It doesn't mean that he should dismiss his health altogether. But he can't preach, you know, you gotta, you gotta be careful. You can't preach about health and, you know, you've gotta eat well and look after yourself. You've got to be careful. You can't preach if you're smoking. Just because you're doing everything else right 
but you're smoking. You've got you to know the truth of where you're holding. So the pig teaches me, uh, the inside is different than the outside. Chazir, the Gemara says, the Talmud says, Chazir comes from the words who return. Does anyone know why? Eitan for sure knows this. Because in the future of Messiah redemption, the pig will like become kosher. You hear that? Isn't that strange? No. There's a Jewish tradition that Chazir means to return, like Chazel, to come back. Because in the future, pig... Bacon will be the number one meal on Shabbat. <laughs> Bacon will be the number one meal every single day for breakfast. You hear that? How can that be? Eitan, you hear that? How can that be? What does that mean? That means it's going to... Your microwave is going to be good. going to start doing its cut. It's ah, you hear that? So, according to Jewish teaching, the world is influenced by humanity. Animals are influenced by humanity. The Talmud says when they tried to remove the the drive for idol worship, they said, "Oh, let's try and remove sexuality as well, because you know that drive is also dangerous sometimes. Look at all the music and how people act sometimes just for because of that drive." People lose their minds. It says in the Talmud. Love takes people off the path of being normal. It takes them off the path. It makes them go crazy. You know what people do because of their drive? It makes you go nuts. The Talmud says that there was once a... I forgot who it was. There was once a, a rabbi that they, in his, they, set, they, were, they stored in his loft a bunch of... Uh, Captives. You heard this story? There was a bunch of captives and there were many, many women there. And they said, where are we going to keep them? They were harlotry. They were sent to influence the Jews to mess around. And then when they sin, then they, you know, they'll all mess around. Then they'll lose their connection with God and they won't be as strong and powerful anymore. So there were many of these uh, women that came into the town and they said, where are we going to put them? And they put them in the greatest rabbi's home in his loft, in his attic for a while until they decided what to do. Okay, they put them in the attic and the rabbi had a tremendous desire and he managed to move a ladder that would normally take 10 people to move. He managed to move it himself. Teaches me the strength of the the desire. We can never, especially with men, you can never rely on yourself. You can never rely on yourself in terms of your desires of how far it can take you. A person needs to make the extra precautions because of it. So this rabbi was able to move the, the ladder to try. He wanted to go up to the attic. At some point, he, he was like, wow, I want to I go up there. And he managed to move the ladder which would normally take 10 people to move. That's how big, it was hard to get up there. They especially put it in the attic and, and moved the ladder, which was extremely, extremely heavy. Um, and especially removed it and put a very, very heavy ladder so that no one can get up there unless you had 10 people with you. He managed, because of his desire, it would take normally 10 people to move it. Boom. 
his desire pushed him and allowed him to move the ladder. He started going up and he screamed, a very holy, holy person, holy rabbi, he screamed, fire in the house, there's a fire in the house, fire! And everyone came running and they said, where's the fire, where's the fire? He said, there's a fire in me. And he wanted to be saved, there's much more to the story, but we, we learn that the human drive is very, very strong. So the rabbis decided to move it at one point. Do you know what happened? What does it say? Eitan, what happened? Uh, the, the, the men of the great assembly prayed for three days. Right. They I removed believe. idol worship. Then they removed. Oh, then they yeah. removed. Oh, the back chicken. to that. The chickens stopped laying eggs. The chi- even the chickens stopped laying eggs. Why a chicken? What's that to do with the chicken? Because when the world is influenced, the whole world is influenced by how we work. That's, that's a Jewish tradition. We, as human beings, have the power to influence the world. Yes, the animals in San Francisco and Los Angeles are different to the animals in New York and in Israel and in any other country. Why? Because of the actions of humanity. It depends also on other things. But birds, everything, everything is impacted by the people. Even the animals themselves. That's a a belief that we have. When a person rises, according to Kabbalah, the world rises with you. You raise the standards of the environment around you as well. A very important idea. So eventually the pig is going to be kosher. But for now, the internal is completely the opposite of the external. The external shows it's nice and good. Which could be channeled for good, by the way. That's, that's the idea. It could be channeled for good. But for now, it shows itself as good. But inside, it's not. And we don't want to have that in us. Okay, the Torah keeps going on. Then it goes into fish. It says you have to have something with snapil vikaskeset, fins and scales. Or rabbis say if it has uh, scales, it for sure has fins. But if it has fins, you're not guaranteed it's going to have scales. From here, we learn that here and, and from kosher animals and from kosher fish, fish and animals, we learn a very interesting Talmud. What does the Talmud say? Very interesting Talmud. What does it say? Here, Rabbi Akiva said. Very interesting. Uh, let me see where I put it. Here. This animal is what you can eat. This animal is, not, is what you cannot eat. Amar Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva says. Was he, was he a, a animal trapper? Was he a hunter? Was he a zoologist? Right? What kind of, where was Moses? He was in the desert when he taught the Jewish people, when they were given the Torah. How could he have known all the animals which have split hooves and chew the cud? How could he have known that? And as time progressed, there are more animals. As time went on, more and more animals were discovered. So when you say to me, these are the animals you cannot eat, that's putting yourself at risk. Because they are the ones that chew the cud, but don't have split hooves. Maybe there's more. How can you know if there's not more? And you gave me exactly the list of the ones that have chew the cud, but don't split the hooves. And the chazir, which is the only one that split hooves, but doesn't chew its cud. How do you know all the animals? And until today, we've never found anything else. 
nothing else. That's a fascinating idea, which is that these animals that we were told were kosher, till today have never changed. They are the ones that remain the ones that are kosher. We, we discovered many, many animals since. We didn't know about Australia back then, nor America or anything else, right? Or many other places. So how could he have known all this? What does the Talmud say? This is Rabbi Akiva says this. Here's one of the great proofs to those that say that the Torah, Torah is not divine. This is a great proof against someone who says the Torah is not divine. The same with fish. Do you know how many fish we discover every day? As time goes on, we're discovering more and more fish. We can get deep in the ocean. We, we, we've not even got into the heat of the ocean. As soon as you get a bit too deep, you, you, the, the pressure, the water pressure is too high. We couldn't, only now we are able to put in certain cameras that can get to a certain depth that we never could get to before. And as we get deeper, we discover more fish. How could Moshe Rabbeinu have said, only those that have fit, that have scales have fins. For sure, if they have scales, know that it's a kosher fish. It for sure has fins as well. Uh, fins as well. How could it be? How could you know that? That's one of the proofs that Torah is divine. And when the Creator tells me that we can't eat it, He knows exactly what He's saying. This is the ending. Then the Torah says you can't eat sheretz ha'of. There's two types of crawling animals. Sheretz ha'of is a flying creature, which basically they, are, they go on four. They have more than four legs. Four or more legs, right? If it's a flying creature, that's also not kosher. You know, you can eat uh, lettuce. You have to check them to make sure that there's no flying creatures in there. If it's an insect, sheretz of. Sheretz is an insect. Off is a flying one and a non-flying one. They both have different laws. A flying insect has more... A person can transgress seven different uh, transgressions for eating a flying insect. And for a non-flying insect, just an insect alone, an ant, let's say, I don't think they fly, uh, that alone is also not kosher and a person can transgress if he eats it at least five different transgressions. Very severe. Okay, but it goes on. What's, what's the answer to all of this? Why? why? Why is all this? Why is Judaism so particular? More about food than anything else. Huh? What do you think the I have a, is? I have a thought, Rabbi. Yes. Uh, this is something I heard today when I was, I was listening to a shiur, but it was a beautiful thought that Please. really I'd never heard before. But basically, when, when we eat non-kosher, you're not just eating, this probably has to do with the whole thing you said about guard your mouth as well, but you're not just eating the food and then, you know, getting rid of it later. You're, you're eating something that's spiritually detrimental and then it's going into your body and building your muscles and going into your, your skin and, and affecting your entire body, not just the moment you eat it, but like more than, more than just that. So by adhering to kosher laws you're not only protecting yourself spiritually but you're also protecting your body from absorbing you know forbidden and detrimental foods exactly it goes into your blood 
It goes part of you. It comes part of your ID. It comes part of your DNA. So here is uh, the final statement of this week's Torah portion. Thank you, Gabe. And that's exactly what we're saying here. So here's the final statement of this week's Torah portion. Why, why are we not meant to do this? I am Hashem, your God. You've got to be holy. You've got to make yourself holy. Because I am holy. Don't impurify yourselves and be careful with eating with what you eat. I am Hashem who took you out of Egypt. You are now uh, free of, of slavery, right? Which is the slavery to the physical self. And you should be holy. So holiness is the reason. We see clearly that it's a spiritual reason for kosher, nothing else. That's the main reason. Because we've got to be holy. What's holy? Different. Holy means different. There are many animals in the world. God created many, many animals. They were all creations of God. You've got to treat a pig with respect. It's an animal. You know, there's, there's many anti-Semites that think that, they think that oh, if we put pig on a, the front of a Jewish's, Jewish man's door, that's going to be the biggest insult to him. No, it's not. It's, a, it's not an insult to me. Um, it, who created the pig? Huh? Who created the pig? God. I can't eat it because of its attributes. It's, we're against eating it, not against seeing it. We're against eating it. We're not against looking after it. We're against eating it, not against having it in my house, like around me. That's not, that's not what I'm against. I'm against having it as part of my body, as my blood. That's the problem. We're not against seeing it. Interesting response to those that think that we are against even seeing a uh, pig. So this is, this is what it says Kabbalistically. When it says that when you eat non-kosher food, it says you will become impure by eating it. What does it say? It says, Venitamtem, not Venitmetem. Venitamtem. It says you will come pure, but it removes the letter Aleph in it. To be impure in Hebrew is Tameh. But when it says becoming impure by kosher, it says Tameh without the Aleph in it. It removes the Aleph from it. Altikri Venitmetem. Don't say it comes, that you will come impure Venitmetem with the Aleph. There's an Aleph missing. Why? This is the Talmud in your math, 39a. Our rabbis say, Don't become impure through these animals. You will become impure. It says, You will become impure without an Aleph. Why without an Aleph? According to Kabbalah, Rabbeinu B'chayev brings this on the spot. The letter Aleph is missing because Aleph represents God. And when a person eats that animal, it's going to block himself from God. Like an aspect of spirituality is removed from him. It's blocking him. In Kabbalistic terms, it's called klipot. It's like shells. When someone does something wrong, they now get shells on top of them that block them from their potential. Venitmeta means to block you. That's the language here. If a person impurifies himself in this world, in the world above, he's also get, he, he adds on to himself impurity as well. In this world, he impures himself. In the worlds above, they also, it adds on to you. It's like 
somebody could try and understand the Talmud and you're like, I don't get it. I just don't understand it. Well, it could be to do with the food that you're eating. That's what Jewish belief is, that the, the food is more than anything else because it has a tremendous external influence on us, even without us knowing about it. That's what it says, If we make ourselves holy, then by being careful with how our blood is made, by how we eat, how our body works, then we will become more unblocked. We'll have an open heart. We'll be more spiritual. It has an effect on our spiritual DNA. This is, this is the reason. And that's the main reason. It happens to be that there's also non-kosher. This is the Kliyaka, one of the great commentaries. He says, kosher affects the soul. He says, don't think that eating non-kosher food is only about health. Like Nachmanides mentions, because Nachmanides, I'm going to show you later, says it's clearly for health. That kosher is directly to do with health. He says it's also to do with spirituality, but directly. He says, don't think it's like just about health. Because there's many people in the world that eat non-kosher food and they're very healthy. Only, this is the language. The intention is, it's for the healing of the soul. Because when somebody eats an animal that acts in an impure way, like the pig, there's even pastors. There's, there's many famous people that talk about eating, wanting to eat kosher, not just Jews. Right? When a person eats the pig, what does the pig do? Its food is digested very quickly. In four hours, it digests everything. And an animal that chews its cud, a kosher animal, takes at least 24 hours to digest. It has three different stomachs. It eats vegetation. A pig can eat anything. You know that the pig is, even nowadays, according to law, it's better to eat pig that does not consume meat. You know, that, you know this? You're not really allowed to eat pig that's fed raw meat because they will give you a parasite called trichinae, if that, I'm pronouncing that right that resides in the muscle tissue and can be transferred to humans. It's a very bad uh, parasite disease. And a, a pig can't eat meat. Why? Because it digests it so quickly that by the time you're eating it, you're eating food that's mostly not there. You know that according to Jewish law, you've got to salt the meat that you eat. It has to be salted in a certain way, at least for around an hour uh, unless it's very, very severe situations, it could be 20 minutes. But generally, you wash the meat well. Then you'd have to salt it for at least for an hour, around an hour with special salt. Not the ground salt that we have, but more whole salt, whole piece salt, not ground. And that way, the blood is absorbed. The salt will absorb the blood. And then you can eat the meat. Why, why salt? Why? Because damn according to Jewish law, you're not allowed to eat blood. You know, when you buy meat, you might see blood in it. And you say, hey, wait a second. Why is there blood in it? It's actually not blood. You know that? Even in the non-kosher stores, when you eat steak and there's a nice red juicy piece in there, that's not blood. You know that, right? That is actually, here's what they call it according to science. Uh, the red in the meat itself is myoglobin. It's a protein that carries oxygen and turns red when exposed to oxygen. It's not blood. 
And this has been, by the way, always Jewish law. The blood that you see inside the meat is not blood. You're not allowed to eat blood, according to Jewish law. There's a blood sausage. Have you heard of a blood sausage? Non-kosher meat, well-known in China to eat blood sausages. But we don't eat those. That's completely unkosher. We're not allowed to eat blood. We have to salt the meat. Ah, there's blood inside the meat. When you have a steak, that's not blood. That's something called myoglobin. There might be a tiny, small amount of blood that might be, have left over. But according to Jewish law, when you have it salted well, there's nothing. This is very interesting because blood is what carries all the bacteria. It's interesting how, according to Judaism, you can never eat blood. That's something which is always strict for us. You see how there's so many laws in Judaism that also works out to be healthy as well. And the Kliakar says, this is not the main reason. The main reason is for the healing of the soul. Because when you eat shrimp, which sits at the bottom of the ocean, they are eating the, 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 the waste of all the, all the ocean. And that comes part of you. That's something we can't eat. You are what you eat is the saying. Is the saying. And this causes molidim atimut hasechel This instills within us a blockage of intellect, a blockage of understanding, and a sense of 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 a sense of cruelty. Not everyone who eats non kosher is cruel, but it can add onto your personality a sense of cruelty. And you will say to yourself, "I don't know where I'm getting this from. It's to do with the food." And this is specifically a rule that was given to the Jewish people because they were the ones that chose to be connected through the Torah. And Hashem says, if you want to be in my path, if you want to go in my way, you've got to eat the kosher animals and not the non-kosher animals. Someone once asked me, well, God created the non-kosher ones, so we should be able to eat it too. It's all the creation of God. Yeah, but God put us in this world and created good and evil. And like we said before, Humans have the power, based on the situation that we're in, to influence the animals. And based on our ways that we act, there is good and bad in the world. And we need to try and push ourselves as much as we can to choosing to be like God, to be good. If there was no bad in the world, then we wouldn't be in a world of free will. Then I wouldn't be able to choose anything. I'll be a robot. So this world has good and bad in it, and that's influenced into the animals as well. There's also dangerous poison. That we don't eat. Because it's obvious to us that it's dangerous. Well, there's spiritual poison as well. And there's things that we eat and we don't eat. So, this is what the Ramchal says. Rav Moshe Chaim Lutzato. Very interesting statement he says. Food is a destruction for the soul. Bad food, obviously. It blocks the heart of a person. It doesn't allow a person to have... True understanding. And the right piety in understanding that God gives to the righteous. An animal is... A, a person who eats this kind of thing will be very materialistic. and Influenced to be more materialistic. Not guaranteed, but you're influenced more. Here's what he says. Every Jew should think in his mind. Because if he has a brain, should think. This is Ramosha Chaim Lutzato, wrote this 300 years ago. Forbidden food, non-kosher food, is like poison. 
or it's like a food where something poisonous got mixed in it. What happens if something gets mixed in? If I tell you, here's a giant drink of water, but one of these cups around here, there's 10 cups. One of them has poison. Would you drink from any of them? You wouldn't drink from any. Why? Nine of them are good. One of them's only poison. Yeah, but I don't know which one. So he says the same way, you, if it's poison, you'll be even in an uncertainty, you'll avoid it. Also with kosher, if there's an uncertainty, you'll avoid it. From here stems the idea of why people avoid eating lettuce. Because there's an uncertainty, whether there's a little, especially when you get organic, organic lettuce, let's say, has a lot of, um, a lot of worms and stuff in it. It has a lot of uh, insects in it. Not worms, but more insects. A person needs to make sure they clean it extremely well. But many people will avoid eating it. Why? Because maybe it's like poison. They treat it like poison. Somebody who's really in tune with their Judaism, if it's got a a slight chance of having unkosher in it, I'm going to avoid it. This is... So till now, we spoke about the aspect of the spiritual influence but let's talk a bit about the health influence, okay? Because that's the second thing that I said is the reason. This is Nachmanides. Nachmanides says also in this week's Torah portion. Everything that we do is uh, anything in this world that we see is good for the body can also be, not guaranteed, but can also be good for the soul. Very interesting rule. They are good for the soul from the creation and for the mitzvot. He says that if God says that this is an animal you shouldn't eat, it's also going to be somewhat unhealthy for you as well. Not only spiritually, but also physically. There's also a, ne- a physical influence that's dangerous for your body as well. These things are not good foods for your health or for your healing. If somebody's sick and he's trying to heal, the last thing you want to give them is pork. Because for healing, you need to make sure you have vegetables, light foods, definitely not that. And they have tremendous outcomes, which is to block the heart. But Nachmanides clearly talks about how it's unhealthy as well. And he could t- this is the Chinuch. The Sefer Chinuch is the one that describes, also written many, many years ago, describes the mitzvot. He explains the mitzvot. He says something very interesting. It could be, right? he wrote this seven, eight hundred years ago. It could be there's many foods that are not kosher, and it's not known to us what their side effects, what the dangers are, the physical dangers are. People will tell you it's healthy. Eat it. It's like today. People tell you weed is healthy. Please. Tell me that you want to smoke it. Fine. Tell me that you like it. Fine. Tell me. it's Convince me it's healthy. Okay. So then you do it. I'm not going to do it. That's all. So if somebody tells you, that's what he says. Sefer says, if somebody tells you, oh, look, you know that non-kosher food? It's good for you. Don't question them and think, oh, maybe they're right. Maybe shrimp is good for you. 
כי הרופא נאמן, the true doctor, the loyal doctor, who is that? Who is God? He warned us and he's wiser than you and them. He's wiser than all of humanity, created it all. And how foolish and mistaken it is to somebody who thinks that these do not have any damage at all, just because there's no scientific sign that there's damage. Today, almost all the non-kosher food has been proven to, be unhe- to have un- unhealthy effects to the body as well. Almost all of them. But back then, hundreds of years ago, it was literally a belief. You had to believe that most of them are unhealthy. He says, don't think, if they are telling you, God is the ultimate doctor. He knows everything. You must know. It's better that we weren't told the reasons of its health, of why it's unhealthy. Sometimes it's better we don't know exactly the reason of why some kosher foods are kosher and why some are not kosher. Why are they less healthy? Why? It's better not to know the reason. Because it's better because maybe someone who's out who's smart, some people might come out and say that I am very smart. And they'll say, yeah, this food that's non-kosher is only damaging to a person who has bad liver. It's only damaging because they understand the dangers of it. If we would understand the dangers of non-kosher, we would rationalize with it, he says. We'd say, ah, you know, you can't, it's only bad for you in this area. So you know what? If you don't have a problem in this area, you can eat it. It's only bad for you if you've got bad cholesterol. That they might come and say that. He says, no. Even if that, it's better that we don't even know the reasoning for that reason. So don't listen to those uh, seductive words. It's better that sometimes we don't know the reasoning of it. But today, would you say that we know the reasoning or not? I think we do, more than ever. And yet, we've seen how much of a health issue it has as well as a spiritual issue as well. Okay, so those are the two main reasons. And there is discipline that we mentioned, moral which is something I've mentioned in the past. The past, for instance, milk and meat are both kosher ingredients, but morally we don't want to mix the concept of, of mercy and cruelty. The Torah says, don't only not eat it, but also don't cook it. Don't benefit from milk and meat because milk represents mercy. Meat represents cruelty. And the Torah says, don't mix those two together. Don't put your mercies in the wrong place with in a place that needs Din, judgment, give judgment. The place that needs mercy, give mercy. That's another whole class that we've spoken in the past. Also, the kosher slaughtering. The sensation of pain is removed when it's using a knife. I don't know if you've, you know about how a knife is, the laws of shechita is mainly a, very, very much about the knife of, of the shochet, of the slaughterer. When it comes to kosher meat, the knife has to be completely sharp to a point where I don't know if you've ever had a very sharp knife where you cut yourself, you don't feel it. You suddenly see yourself bleeding. So sharp, boom, oh, I'm bleeding. How come? I didn't even feel it. When you have a very, very, very sharp knife that's done in a way with not even a nick, it takes away the nerve as well. So through cutting of an, uh, using a knife specifically on kosher animals, 
will reduce the consciousness immediately. It's been discovered by Dr. Norbert Klein, who has been fighting. This is written in Rabbi uh, Zamu Cohen's book. Um, he brings of Dr. Norbert Klein. Right? The science is coming of age. Eitan, you have that book. Dr. Norbert Klein brings a proof that within the animals that chew the cud and um, that chew the cud and have split hooves, they specifically, the arteries come together. There's always two arteries that pass blood to the brain. If you have oxygen in the brain, you are able to feel still. If there's no oxygen in the brain, you do not feel. Within kosher animals alone, it has been discovered only within those animals that their arteries are connected. So when somebody does shechita, when the slaughtering process is done, the animal immediately is removed from all his blood flow to his brain and stops feeling any pain as well. Very, very interesting. Only by kosher animals. So there is a moral aspect to it and there's also a tradition aspect to it, which is that it keeps us together. And um, they are the ideas behind food. Food is where things got destroyed in this world and food is where we can fix ourselves in this world. Uh, it started with Adam and Eve, started with food, and it ends with food. Judaism is not against food, as you could see. We just ate, we just had Passover. We're against using it in the wrong way. We're with food, but just to elevate ourselves. I'll end off with this. The Talmud says, if you think you're missing out, ah, missing out, I'm not having shrimp. I'm missing out, I'm not eating pig. I'm missing out, I'm not eating horse meat. Right? Or whatever it is. There's an animal or a fish that's kosher that compensates. It gives you a whole list of every single type of animal that compensates for the non-kosher animal. Because God wants you to have enjoyment in this world. He wants you to benefit from this world. And because of that, he created a kosher animal of, which has the same taste of a non-kosher animal. There is always a way that you can have something which is kosher that will taste, if, if you want to taste pig, there's a certain type of fish that can taste exactly like pork. I don't know what it is. But the time, I don't have an interest, but the Talmud actually gives a list of different animals that you can have that can compensate for the non-kosher food. Very, very interesting. So, in no way is the idea of discipline, which we're talking about, in a way of constricting us or something which is there to stop us from benefiting from this world. God created us to benefit from this world. Judaism is not against us having pleasure. We are created to have pleasure. However, in order to have the most pleasure, we need to choose good over bad. And when we have something which appears to be good in front of us, we have to know that it can have a negative influence. So the benefit of its taste is not going to outweigh the negative influence of the non-kosher food that's in front of us. And hopefully this should be enough to convince you. So that when you walk past the Chipotle and you say, oh, I'm in the airport and there's not really much kosher around. Maybe I'll fold from Chipotle this time. Even if you do it once, I'll be a happy man. And you don't do it for me, you do it for yourself. You'll be a better person. And you'll be a person that's more godly and closer to Hashem and guaranteed to be healthy. You know that they said about the Black Death, 
one of the things they said was, ah, look, the Jews are doing it. Why? Because many Jews were spared. Many Jews died. But many Jews were spared from the Black Death. You, you heard about this? And the reason was because of kosher. Because they salted the meat. Especially back then, bacteria is carried much more in the meat. Today, they're able to, even the non-kosher meat takes away the blood because the blood is very is what carries all the problems. Meat without blood in it, which has the blood removed, lasts for much longer. So, um, in the Black Death, Jews were, were, were the ones that was, they said, hey, look, they are all uh, surviving somehow. Maybe they are the cause of the whole plague. And it was because, totally attributed to the idea of kosher, and that's what kept us healthy even during that time. You see, throughout history, it kept us healthy, and it will. Then they, you know something? Back then, they didn't know as much of the deep reasons behind it as we do today. But today, because we're able to scientifically observe things properly, we know much more, on a much deeper level, the influence of the animal. For instance, like I said, how, how long it takes for the pig to digest its food. We don't really understand that. But today we do. Digestion is done like that with the pig. Four hours. Anything it eats, it will eat its own child. It will eat anything. And that goes into a person's body. Why would anyone want to do that? Be holy. Be different. Be special. Be like God. God says, because I am holy. How do you be like God? When you choose good over bad. You don't choose the path that God put in this world which is a way of us choosing to be more spiritual. What I find also, one last point, what I find amazing about kosher is it's a very strict law about something that's second degree, subconscious. What's the law about? That it's going to have an influence on me subconsciously. You see how Judaism is so strong about the subconscious? Who cares? I'm not doing anything wrong, you might say. It's only if I eat it, it's going to influence my blood and then it's going to make me think different. Yeah, but we avoid even thinking different because of an external influence. Right? Even a subconscious, a second degree of negativity will avoid. It's not me. It's the food that I ate. Well, you shouldn't have eaten it. You, you get what I'm saying? A person might tell me, um, let's, I'll give you an example. You know, immoral relationships. It's, according to Judaism, it's forbidden. You're not allowed to be with someone who's in a relationship, who's married. So in an illicit relationship, forbidden according to Judaism. So you might say, okay, the relationship is forbidden. But no one says I can't hang out together with her in a bar sometime. Right? But Judaism will make the boundaries to avoid even getting there. That's called being kadosh. Being kadosh is to separate yourself and making those boundaries in the first place that avoids you from getting into trouble in the first place. It's not just, you know, why, why did you mess around? It's why did you get yourself to a place that caused you to mess around? We take the extra precautions. That's, that's what kosher teaches me. It's the extra precaution. You might say, that's oh, not me. me. I am me. What I eat is a separate, you know, it's, 
Yeah, but we, avoid, we, we take it two levels ahead. Because the pig has an, a negative way of being, that's going to have a negative influence of me. Anyway, that's, uh, that's my talk on kosher. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed. And we'll definitely reconsider. I know that most of you are pretty kosher. Pretty kosher. But... Good Any stuff, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Gabe. Spirituality, health, discipline, moral reasons, and tradition. Any thought on those? Anything else? Maybe I missed something. Are there any other reasons why we should eat kosher? Maybe I missed something. Did you hear anything about animals which are not kosher or kosher? Uh, grasshoppers. Or oh. the red grasshoppers. That's a very interesting... Yes, yes, yes. I forgot to mention that. That's also in this week's Torah portion. There are certain creatures that are flying creatures that are still kosher. And there's actually a video on YouTube flying around from this year where, where somebody went to Rab Chaim Kanievsky, who's the greatest rabbi of our generation for sure. Very holy man. I could tell you many stories about him. You'll, get, you'll be blown away that he's still alive today. Very holy man. Someone once bought him a jacket. He said, uh, wait a second, there's something wrong with this jacket. They take it off and they realize it's got Chardonnay's. It has wool and linen in it mixed together. He's so submersed in his spiritual world, he, he, has, a, he has an instinct to it. It's unbelievable. Much more than that. Every single year, he does a siyum, a, a celebration just before Passover on the entire Torah. Finishes the entire Torah. I can't even get through one Talmud, never mind the entire Torah. He finishes the entire Torah in one year. The whole Jerusalem Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, the whole Chumash, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, all, all four books of the Shulchan Aruch, of the law, Jewish law. Tremendous amount of work. Day and night. He sleeps for two, three hours a night. He's over 90 years old. He had COVID. He was learning regular. He had COVID. He was learning regular. and came, came fine. He was fine. But when he had COVID, it was all over the Jewish news. He... Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky, there's a video of him. He was given a uh, grasshopper. Now, grasshoppers today, it's very hard for us to know exactly which ones are kosher because they have very specific wings. They have to be, the Talmud talks about it. They have to have a special type of wing that's above itself. I don't know, very, very complicated. Um, but they are kosher. It ele mehem tochelu. This is what the Torah says in in uh, chapter 12, verse 20. These are what you can eat. It bear locusts of its specific kind. Salam leminehu vetachargol leminehu vetachagav leminehu. One, two, three, four. Four different types of very similar creatures, like the grasshopper is one of these, um, that you can eat. I don't know exactly the translation. Let me, let me just check a second. Very But these are the animals you can eat. Very, very fascinating to me as well. Uh, chapter, I think it's 12. But um, I don't want to keep you. But just an interesting uh, idea here. To me, it's... Hey. If it has wings above its feet, then you can eat. If it's a cre- if it's a an insect, 
a flying insect. And these are the ones you can eat. Verse 22, it says, see, you may eat these from among them. The albears, the locusts, salam, according to its kind, the chagol, it doesn't translate it for me here. It doesn't translate, art scroll doesn't translate it, it just uses its Hebrew. I thought it would, but it doesn't. Certain types of locusts, they are very specific. Probably it's better that it doesn't translate it so that we don't get confused and start saying, hey, locusts are kosher, yay, and just like start crunching on them. But, uh, but they, are, they are certain types that are kosher. And this year, Rab Chaim Kanievsky was introduced to a special type of locust. He looked at it, he saw the wing, he saw the thing, he saw the dimension, everything. He said, it's kosher. Really, really interesting. But he actually said it is kosher and you could eat it. I don't think anyone would eat it.